0: What are the things that, that influence you? Who are the people, if you can think of it that way, that have been the biggest influencers, influencers of your life, in your life? If I, if I asked you children, I'm sure you would say that the people that have the biggest influence on you are your parents. Or maybe for you that are uh, younger in the family, and you've got older brothers and sisters, it would be your older siblings that would be the, a big influence in your life. If you're a teenager, maybe it's a a, a teacher or a school counselor that is influencing you right now as far as what direction you ought to take in your life. Most importantly, you can point to those, as you look back over your life, that have influenced you spiritually, that might have been integral in your spiritual walk with the Lord or even coming into a relationship with God in the first place. Then there can also be negative influencers, especially uh, during those younger days when peers may have set you on a course towards decisions that may have looked okay for the moment, but in the end turned out to be bad decisions. Well, today, we'll find out that for Christians, there is a, a certain direction in which we can turn to receive inspiration for our lives as believers. This morning, we're in Ephesians five, eighteen. And so turn your Bibles to the letter of Ephesians. If you're not there already, you know as soon as I get up here, we're in Ephesians for the last number of months. And uh, we're gonna, we left off at verse 17 of chapter 5 last week, and we're going to pick that up in verse 18. So just follow me as I read the Word of God. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we're going to stop right there today and then pick up what Paul says about submitting as he talks a little bit more about that particular thing. Uh, from verse 22 all the way down through chapter 6, verse 9. But we've been going through this letter pretty fast. We've been taking big chunks uh, of, uh, of Ephesians and, uh, and making our way through there kind of a, in a, at a big picture sort of view. But today, today I want to hunker down a little bit just in these four verses. These are four important verses for all of us in this room today that are Christians. It's kind of a, a general summary of what the Christian life looks like. A, Chris, a Christian is supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't want you to think too literally here, but if you were to poke some holes in any Christian, this is what should leak out. If you were to do a, a, a spiritual, pathological report on a Christian, the report should come back that this person was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit was the controlling factor in that Christian's life. Well, that's the command here. It says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so I have a a simple aim this morning, and that's to try to figure out what that means, and then what it looks like for you and for me. And thankfully, the text gives us some help here. Now, this command comes right at the end of a, of a section of rapid-fire commands here in chapters four and, five, 4 and 5 of Ephesians. Now just recall that in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul didn't really command his readers to do or to not do anything. The only command in those entire first three chapters is to remember. Remember who you have become in Christ. Remember what God has done for you in, in granting you faith and grace salvation. But from chapter 4, right through to here, it's been nothing but commands. It's been the total opposite. Don't lie. Speak truth. Don't be uncontrollably angry. Don't steal, but work. Don't let rotten words get out of your mouth, but only that which builds up. Don't be bitter. Be kind. Don't be immoral. Don't participate with darkness. Don't be foolish, but be wise. And so these are instructions on how we're supposed to treat each other within the community of God. It's almost like the Christian's Ten Commandments. And so Paul gives us a list of don't do this, but do that, and here's why. It's usually the formula all the time. Don't do this one thing, do this instead, and here's why you ought to do that. And when we get to Ephesians 5.18, we really have here the last in those rapid-fire commands. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This basically kind of closes the bracket around what he's been saying from chapter 5, verse 1. He started off the chapter with, Be imitators of God, and now he ends it by saying, Be filled with the Spirit. It's kind of two ways of saying the same thing almost. If we want to get anywhere close to the point where we imitate God, we have to be filled with the Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit is God, Paul is telling Christians to literally to be filled up with God. That idea has come up before in, in Ephesians, that idea of being filled. And In chapter 3, verse 19, he prays for believers asking that they might know the love of Christ. Why? So that you may be filled with the fullness of God. In chapter 123, he talked about the church as being the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. And then you see it again in chapter 4, verse 13, where it says our goal as a church is to become mature to the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so within Ephesians, you've got the fullness of God. In some places, you've got the fullness of Christ. In other places, and now you have be filled with the Spirit. So all three persons of the Trinity are included here in this idea that Paul has of being filled. And so Paul wants these people who are reading this letter to be filled up with God so much that they start to look less and less like the world, less and less like the people that they were before Christ, and more and more like God. So my Christian brothers and sisters, the question for us here is, are you starting to resemble the attributes of God? increasingly are you growing in godliness can you say that the longer that you've been a christian the less the things of the world have looked appetizing and the more you long to be like god the more you long to be holy set apart holy as he is holy the more you long to be loving as he is loving that's what this last in the list of commands is all about when it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, it's another way of saying, empty yourself of the world and fill yourself with God. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but how, how did I get there? How does Paul connect drunk with wine and filled with the Holy Spirit? How are these two opposites? Well, I already hinted at the fact that one represents worldly behavior and the other represents godly behavior. And in light of what Paul has said in the first part of chapter 5, that's certainly part of his point here. But the connection is in terms of control, or in terms of influence. What is it that should be the, the controlling factor in the obedience required of Christians? Now, when someone is drunk... They are influenced by alcohol. They're controlled by that substance which fills them. In fact, a drunk person actually loses all sense of control, don't they? Sometimes we say someone who is drunk is out of control. Alcohol affects all their senses. Their, Their speech starts to get slurred. They lose the sense of touch. They can't see straight. Their, their balance is affected. They can't, you know, police do, and they catch somebody. They can't walk in a straight line. Look at the way Proverbs 23 talks about someone that's under the influence of wine. Proverbs 23, down in verse uh, 31, says, Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder, like a snake. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be one who lies down in the midst of the sea like one who lies on top of a mast, which is the most shakiest part of a ship. That's what you'll be like. They struck me, you will say, but I wasn't hurt. They beat me, but I didn't even feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. That's what the drunk person does. He gets rid of the hangover and forgets everything that was wrong with what happened then and wants another drink. Just for interest, I kind of went on a website on... on it was called the, the pharmacology of alcohol. And this is called P-H-A-R-M, not F-A-R-M. So, Farmers, you can... It's not talking about that. Uh, The pharmacology of alcohol in corn or something. Um, This is the pharmacology of alcohol. It talked about the things in our bodies that alcohol affects and what it doesn't affect. Most of it wasn't surprising. Like like Proverbs already said, it, it diminishes all muscular coordination. Symptoms, it says, include exaggerated ego, impaired will, combativeness, meaningless anger, drowsiness and idiocy. Now, I don't want to make light of the effects of alcohol, because many of you have tragic stories about you know, people that are drunk getting behind the wheel. But those are some of the symptoms of, that this, um, these phar- pharmacists, I guess it would be, uh, talked about. The most surprising part of that report was that alcohol is no longer thought to be on the list of stimulants, but it's now almost everybody widely agreed on that it's a depressant. It says alcohol is a depressant of the entire nervous system, acting first on the highest and least stable areas and progressively depressing all nervous functions. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a physician before he became a pastor, says alcohol depresses the highest centers of the brain. It affects everything that gives people, listen to this, self-control. Wisdom, understanding, judgment, and balance. In other words, everything that makes people behave at their very best and highest. Back in Ephesians, Paul says drunkenness is debauchery. Or some of your translations have dissipation. The word there literally means recklessness or, or wastefulness. It's actually the same word used of the, of the prodigal son when he went and wasted all the inheritance that his father gave him. Or, or wildness is another translation for it. It's a description of someone who becomes less than human. It's uncontrolled, animal-like behavior. And so I'm not going to go into a, 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 a monologue on the effects of alcohol today, but just so you can see that the comparison of, of what um, Paul is, is saying here. So you can start to see the contrast. The drunk is uncontrolled. Part of the fruit of one who is filled by the Spirit on the other side is self-control. Wine is a depressant. Lloyd-Jones says if we were to examine the pharmacology of a spirit-filled person, we would find that the spirit is a stimulant. The Holy Spirit stimulates the mind and stimulates the intellect and and the heart and the will. While alcohol leads to debauchery and is dehumanizing, the spirit makes us more human because he makes us more like Christ who was the perfect human, the perfect man. And so Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so what does that mean? Here's here's what we can say about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Some of the things. One is that it has something to do with Christ. Being filled with the Spirit means that we're consumed, means that we're overtaken with thoughts about Jesus. That we are overwhelmed in in our affection for the Savior. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in the passage that that we read about. The the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. In John 14, just a couple of chapters back, Jesus tells his disciples, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance what? He will bring to remembrance all that I, all that Jesus has said to you. He helps us remember Jesus' words. John 15, 26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then the passage that we read in John 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will glorify me. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So someone who is filled with the Spirit, will be consumed with the Savior, the one who has rescued us. Because of the work, one of the jobs, one of the, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is to bear witness to the Son. So if you're a Christian, your entire life should be oriented around Christ. It is Christ that has saved you. It is Christ with whom you are united. It is Christ who is your brother, in some senses, through adoption. It is Christ who loved you. It is Christ who gave himself for you. It is Christ who lived the sinless life that God requires of you. It is Christ who atoned for your sins. It is Christ who took the penalty for your sins. It is Christ who shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. It is Christ who was raised for your justification. It is Christ who is the first fruit of your resurrection. It is Christ who's coming again, coming back for his bride, for the church. It is Christ who is our King and who is our Lord and who is our Savior. When we're filled with the Spirit, we will give testimony of Christ. And so being filled with the Spirit, for one thing, it has something to do with Christ, with the Savior. Being filled with the Spirit also has something to do with God's Word, To see this, you kind of need to compare this passage to another one in Colossians. Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 and 20 say basically the same thing, even backing up into uh, Ephesians 5.15, talking about wisdom there. You'll find these parallels between Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. And he writes something there that almost sounds exactly the same. Here's what it says in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so that last part is exactly the same as Ephesians 5: 1920, the whole part about psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. But instead of starting that with being filled with the spirit, there it says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly." And so if you put those two together, being filled with the spirit has the same effect. As letting the word of Christ dwell in us. John Piper points out that if the way someone gets drunk is to drink a lot, then the way to get filled up with the Spirit is to read a lot and meditate a lot and believe in the Scriptures. So that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Christians who are under the control of the Spirit, people who are under the influence of the Spirit, will bear witness to what Jesus Christ has done in their lives and When you're filled with the Spirit, the overflow will be the Word of God. So, what does a person who follows this command look like? What will a person who is filled with the Spirit actually do? How can you tell? What is the evidence of somebody being filled with the Spirit? Well, we have the answer to that right in this passage. Grammatically, after that command, there are four participles that form the results, that form the consequences of, of obeying the command. Look at verse 19. It says, addressing one another, so don't, there's the command, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you have those participles, those things that end with the I-N-G there. And I know that's not in all your translations. They, I don't know why they did it that way, but in the English Standard Version it has it there and it, you can see it uh, very easily. But before I say something about each of those things, notice that the Spirit-filled Christian exists in relationship with other Christians. You see that there. There's two times where it says one another. Speaking to one another, The beginning of that list and submitting to one another at the end. And here it's talking about times when the church gathers, when we're with one another for worship. Paul is always, throughout Ephesians, directing people to the church. God has redeemed a group of people to himself. And his intention, his design is that the best way for individual people to glorify him is through the church. He puts believers into a spiritual family. As Pastor Wayne said before, it's good to be back with family. That's what God does. He makes puts us into a place where we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a family that will last forever into eternity. Family of the saints. Remember Ephesians 3.20, kind of what we've titled the series, To Him Be Glory in the Church. He is our Father, and we're all brothers and sisters. And so Paul is now saying that our being filled with the Spirit will be best lived out when we're together with our brothers and sisters. And the main time that we gather is on the Lord's Day for worship, this time that we have together right now. And that's what Paul seems to have in mind, especially at the beginning of that list. What does a Spirit-filled life produce? What is the fruit of a spirit-filled life? It's Christians wanting to be together more than anything else in worship. While drunkenness has people gathering for uncontrolled wild partying, a spirit-filled life has people getting together for controlled, orderly praise, thanksgiving, and mutual submission. Well, the first way they do that is by addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So here we can see that people who allow themselves to be filled with the Spirit and the Word will want to be together. And when they get together, they come with something. They bring a song. Spirit-filled Christians will always have a reason to sing. When we're filled up with God, what comes out the top is singing. We need to do something with that which fills us. It needs to come out somehow. When a a whale goes under the water, and apparently they can go under for quite a while, it gets gets filled up with water. And so, because it's a mammal, when it comes up, it has to get rid of that water. And in order to do that, God gave every whale a blowhole that expels the water. Well, for spirit-filled Christians... When we drink up the word, when we're filled to the brim with Christ, God gives us a way to get that out too. It's called our mouth. Some of you it might be a blowhole as well. But, But what comes out is singing. Notice that this music is directed first to each other. It says we address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll want to encourage each other with songs that the Spirit gives us. Now, I'm not sure if we, if we actually do this one another thing as well as we could. Sometimes it seems like our, our worship can start to lean a little bit too much toward, you know, the leaders up here and you down there. And so, even in here, we, we have lights that are down above you and that are light up here over us. Or we have Microphones up here for us but we've got nothing down there for you. I just wonder sometimes whether that encourages non-participation. Now I understand that we need musicians to lead us. In fact, that's even biblical. But we should also make an effort to make sure we're addressing, we're we're speaking to one another. Maybe that m- might mean turning to each other when we sing, come, now is the time to worship. Or, Lord, be glorified in the church. So it, we just need to make some sort of effort, and I don't know how to do that the best, but to, to be able to sing to one another. Maybe we just need to turn down the microphones once in a while so we can just hear each other sing. Anyways, all I know is that here it says we ought to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Many of the Psalms have this sort of corporate one another focus. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Come, or let us, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with, with psalms. It's another one that we were talking about even in the office this week Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. It's all talking about a corporate praise that needs to happen among God's people. By the way, some of you might be wondering what the difference is between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I wish I could answer you. Because no one, I read, tried to find some stuff this week, but no one really knows for sure. It just means that there were different kinds of songs during that time. Old Testament psalms were singing. The New Testament church had some hymns that began to circulate, some of which we have in, in Scripture and then there was this other thing called spiritual songs so all we really do know for sure is that there were all kinds of different styles but the important thing was that they sang to each other in order to build each other up and in order to encourage each other And so in this church we try to do the same thing style is is not as important to us as content here's how we evaluate songs when we have an opportunity to do that we look at the words to ensure that they're biblical. Yes, we care about musicality and all those things, but the final straw for us is the words, whether they're biblical, whether they're God-centered, whether they point to Christ and the cross, and whether they serve to encourage each other. Well, that brings us to the next result of someone who is spirit-filled. Not only are our songs directed to each other, it says that they're also directed towards God. Singing and making melody To the Lord with your heart. Notice that the direction of our singing here is now to the Lord. It's not to one another anymore, it's to the Lord. So there's both a, a vertical and a horizontal direction to our spirit overflowing songs. When we sing songs like, God of Wonders Beyond Our Galaxy, You Are Holy, that is singing and making melody to the Lord. The direction of our worship is now Godward. Come now in the worship is speaking, now is the time to worship is speaking to one another. God of wonders is singing and making melody to the Lord. Psalm 101 is a a psalm, psalm that is directed towards God. It says, I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing praises. And we sang other songs that had that same sort of emphasis, singing to God our praises. The psalms have a good balance. Some are written to encourage corporate worship. Others are Godward in their focus. And so we need to try to keep that balance in our worship too. There's definitely a sense in which God is the audience. But there's also something to the fact that we're coming to him together as a corporate community of the redeemed. As the community of those who have been the recipients of God's amazing grace and his mercy and his and his blood-bought salvation through Jesus Christ. And then there's another added benefit that we have where God is actually, Psalm 22 talks about inhabiting the praise of his people. Because God the Spirit lives in us, when we worship, there's a sense in which God is actually praising God through us. Ever thought of it that way? Brian Chapel writes, We are the instrument by which God becomes present in praise to himself. That fact should really give some extra oomph to our worship, shouldn't it? Which leads to the last part there, that our singing and making melody to God must be with our heart. There should be some emotion in our praise. Doesn't need, mean we need to be raising our hands and, and moving around and stuff. Everybody emotes in different ways, Right? But when we truly recognize what God has done for us, people who were once dead and, and without hope in the world, as Ephesians 2 puts it, will want to praise Him in a way in which we mean it, in which we f- feel it. Spirit-filled Christians will have an overflowing joy in their hearts, which is when they want to burst out in praise, in songs. Now, you don't have to be musical, but you should have a song in your heart because of what God has done Now, as I say that, I just think that some of you might be here in this room today who might not have a song in their heart for one reason or another, for circumstances that have happened. Some of you, things have happened this week where there is profound sadness and you just don't feel like singing. Some of you might even wonder about God's activity. Where is God when this and this is happening? And that's okay. God even put some Psalms in his Bible where the writer is wondering where God is at. I would just encourage you to keep looking to him in hope. In Psalm 42, there was a a, King David when he was downcast. Why are you in despair O my soul? He was asking himself. But he wrote later on in that same psalm, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. So recognize that God is sovereign, but also recognize that he cares and that you can take refuge in him and you will yet again praise him. Others of you might be here and wonder why, why people are all joyful in singing. This, this singing stuff strikes you as a bit weird, a bit strange. Well, let me just say to you that number one, you might be right. We are a bit strange. <laughs> in fact, the Bible sometimes calls Christians strangers because they are now different from the world. It also calls us aliens, by the way, um, and exiles. But secondly, this seems strange because you have not yet experienced God's gift of salvation. And so my hope is that as you've seen the words of the songs and as you've heard the gospel, the good news that Jesus sent his son, Jesus, to the world, as, as you've witnessed the joy that brings people, that you might respond in repentance and faith. I mean, that's, this is something that I, that I want for myself. I want to know God in the same way these people know God. When we sang about the grace of God that saved a wretch like me, we believe that. That's, that's true of all of us. We were all hopeless in sin. We were all lawbreakers. But God, in his kindness and in his love and in his grace, sent his son, and he sent him to live a sinless life and to die for our sins on the cross, taking the penalty that we deserved. He lived the life that we should have lived. And so why don't you receive God's gift today? Repent of your sins, and that means be sorry for your sins, and and turn away from them. And as you're doing that, turn towards Christ, towards Jesus, trusting only in his life and in his death to rescue you from receiving the penalty of your sins, which is eternal punishment in hell. Well, that leads us to the next characteristic of someone who's filled by the Spirit, says they're giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A spirit-filled Christian will be a thankful Christian. That seems patently obvious, doesn't it? How can we not be thankful for everything that God has done? Yet as you read the scriptures, even as you just read the first the second book of the Bible, We have warnings there of people who were also rescued by God, God's own people, yet they constantly drifted back into being unthankful and complaining and and grumbling people. We, of all people, should never be marked by ingratitude. Ingratitude happens only when we start to lose focus on our Savior. And we start focusing only on ourselves and in our circumstances. When, we, when our focus starts to turn inward and we think that we are entitled to certain things in life. But we weren't entitled to anything from God. Except for one thing, which is his wrath. Yet he had mercy on us. Christian, keep remembering what God has done for you in Christ. And then turn your thoughts away from yourself to all the other people that God has also adopted into this new family. This new family of of repenting sinners who are now called saints. And when you do that, you'll want to do the last thing on that list, which is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now I'm going to say more about that next time because Paul takes this concept of submission and he applies it to a number of other relationships that we have as believers. But this means that a person that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God will want to serve other believers. It literally means to, to line up under. And, as, and, and we do that as we follow Christ's example that he has given us of sacrificial service to each other. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, he says, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have a model for this, who emptied himself, who who humbled himself and became obedient on the cross. So be filled with the Spirit, and when you're filled with the Spirit, your ambition will be, how can I serve my brothers and sisters here in the church? How can I serve out of reverence for Christ and what he has done for me? So God's encouragement to you today is to live under the control and the influence of the Spirit. And when you do that, the attractions of the world will start to fade in their appeal, will start to fade in their attractiveness. In the world of revelry and drunkenness, the biggest fear is to to get a DUI, driving under the influence. No one wants to be labeled as having a DUI. But as Christians... We should aim for being labeled L U I, living under the influence. We want to be those who are guided and and influenced more than anything and anyone by the Holy Spirit, by God Himself. And when we do that, we will be those who have a song in our heart. And when we have a song in our heart, the, the outlet for those songs is the church. As we address one another and God, with hymns and songs and spiritual songs as we sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord as we are thankful to God as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ let's pray our heavenly father how grateful we are that you have that you have not left us alone in this world we thank you for your presence in the in the person of the Holy Spirit and we thank you that we can be filled with your spirit that we can be controlled by your spirit and when we are under his control we can exhibit the fruit of the spirit in our lives oh how we thank you that you have placed us in the church where we can fellowship with believers and with whom we can worship you in song and worship you, our God and our Savior. Thank you for all you have done. May we be careful to always give you the praise. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.